Thank you for the welcome. I'm so glad to be here to hear the uh, what your uh, my brother has just spoken about. Because any movement of God that begins in prayer is going to have a tremendous effect. And so I'm delighted to know that this is a possibility and I'll try to remember it too. Today is a great day for me because it was 76 years ago that I accepted Christ as my Savior. And uh, I'm so glad to be able to pay tribute to a Lord who can keep a very frail and failing instrument going for all those years. I'd like to, you to read with me a few verses from Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If you are mature, you will share Paul's viewpoint on these matters. I want to speak this morning about the power of a master ambition. I'm sure you wouldn't be here unless you want your life to be significant for God. Not only significant in the world, but significant for God. And many people fail to achieve anything significant, either in this world or for God, because they've got no dominating ambition. No one thing that means more to them than anything else. You'll notice that Paul said, one thing I do. Well, that wasn't true. He did a hundred things. But there was one thing that to him was supremely important. If I were to ask you, what is the one thing you do, what would you say it was? Could you answer me if I went and said, what's the one thing you do? If there is one thing that's supremely important, you'd be able to answer me. If you can't answer me, it means that you've never defined to yourself what is the most important thing in your life. I was listening to a TV program a little while back in my country of New Zealand, and uh, it was a young man who had just completed a grueling cycle race, and he'd established a new record. And after the race... One of the commentators asked some of those silly questions they ask the people after they've run. He said, what do you aim at for the future? Without any hesitation, that young man said, I aim to be one of the best riders in the world. Do you aim to be the best anything? Or are you content to be mediocre? You know, the word mediocre means, the background of it is halfway up the hill. Are you going to go halfway up the hill? Or oh, by God's grace, are you going to be like Caleb and 
win the mountain. Give me this mountain. There is a place for a worthy ambition in the Christian life. I know all ambitions are not worthy. But there is a place for ambition in the Christian life. No great task was ever accomplished without a total concentration on it, a total abandonment to it. But not, not all ambitions are worthy. Uh, you know the saying, ambition is the last infirmity of noble minds. Shakespeare made Wolsey say, Cromwell, fling away ambition. By that sin fell the angels. How shall then man, who's made in the image of his creator, hope to profit by it? Fling away ambition, he said. Well, there are certain ambitions that can well be flung away. Worldly ambition generally centers around three things. It centers around the desire to build a reputation or attain fame in some realm. It circles around a desire for power, the desire to have authority so that you can move people around like men on a chessboard. It centers in a desire for wealth, to make money. And that is one of the great ambitions of a great number of people in the world today. Henry Martin was a young man who at the age of 20 had gained the highest honors in mathematics there were in the world. He was number one mathematician in the world at the age of 20. And writing of it afterwards, he said, When I had attained my heart's ambition and desire, I found that I had grasped the shadow. What did he do? He was converted. And he went to India. And when he reached the sands of India, he knelt down on the seashore, and he said, And now let me burn out for God. And he did. He burnt out in seven years. But in those seven years, Henry Martin gave the world the New Testament in three different languages. Top mathematician of the world, grasping a shadow. But when he turned his ambition toward honoring Christ, what happened? He left the world with a tremendous legacy of the Bible translated in those languages. Our word ambition comes from the Latin, and it means facing both ways to gain an objective. And perhaps a politician might be a good illustration. Uh, The head of the women's lib comes to him and says, Now, if we give you your vote, uh, our vote, will you look after our interests? He says, Oh, yes, yes, surely. The anti-women's lib group come and they say, Now, if we give you our vote, will you look after our interests? Yes, yes, certainly. Facing both ways to gain an objective. Now that's not a very noble thing. That's a kind of ambition that can be thrown away. But when Paul uses the word, the equivalent of ambition, he uses the Greek form. And it's different. This is to strive after noble ends. And that, of course, is an ambition that God can honor. And when he writes about his ambition, he mentions the word three times. 
In Romans 15:20, he says, It has always been my ambition to make Christ known where he has not been heard. Always my ambition. If you want an ambition, there is a worthy ambition. And Paul says, this is one thing I do. This is the supreme thing in my life. Now that young fellow who wanted to be the best rider in the world, he channeled his life into one narrow point. And he threw everything he had into it. He was willing to undertake grueling discipline, to deny himself all kinds of things, to practice regularly day, day after day, year after year, if only he could gain this one thing. When I was traveling in Asia with my friend Fred Mitchell, who was the British director of the China Inland Mission, he said to me, when I was a young fellow, I was a pharmacist. And uh, he said, another young fellow and I in the north of England used to study together. And he said, we took a course in optometry. One day, my friend said to me, Fred, someday I am going to be King George's optometrist. And when he said that, Fred said, I said, oh yeah. <laughs> what chance was there of that unknown fellow away in the north of England ever becoming King George's optometrist? And then Fred said, do you know who King George's optometrist is? No, that young man. There, right at the beginning of life, he had one thing, this one thing I do. I'm going to be King George's optometrist. The whole of his life was channeled into one narrow groove. He gave himself without any uh, limitation to the attaining of his goal. I wonder why we are not more like that in regard to Christian things. I was at the uh, Olympics in Australia and I saw a lot of the great races. But you know, when you come to think of it, those, those athletes are prepared to sacrifice anything year after year in order to get a, perhaps a piece of bronze. They feel very wonderful if they got a bronze. And yet, how much do we really discipline ourselves and sacrifice in our life in order that we might preach Christ where he's not been named? It's so easy for us to let ourselves off instead of disciplining ourselves so that we can be the best we can be for God. Now, a desire to be great is not wrong. God wants some great people in his service. James and John wanted to be great. They said to Jesus, Lord, we'd like you to make, us, make one of us uh, president and the other secretary of state in your kingdom. Uh, but the Lord didn't cooperate very well. He wasn't interested in making them great. But he said to them, now, if you want to be great, you can be great. But the way to greatness is by becoming a servant. If you want to be first in my kingdom, somebody's got to be first, and it could be you. Only the way you reach primacy in my kingdom is by becoming everybody's slave. Very exciting, isn't it? Everybody's slave. They knew what slavery was. Half of the people in the Roman Empire at that time were slaves. 
They knew what was involved. And I, I don't know that Jesus ever uttered a more revolutionary statement than that. If you're aiming to be great, he said, become everybody's slave. If you want to be first, be a servant. And my brothers and sisters, I've been watching generations of students over the last 60 years. I've seen them come and go. I've seen them go out to their work. I've seen them die. And I've noticed one thing with monotonous regularity. It has not always been those who were most successful academically who made the most significant impression for God. Thank God, many of them did. But I've noticed that those who have made a significant contribution to the work of God in the world have been those who most have the spirit of a servant. Not those who want to be bosses and masters, but those who are willing to place themselves without reservation at the disposal of the people of the world. It has always been my ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named. I trust that that will be your ambition too. But that kind of ambition requires abandonment to the, to the objective. The story is told of Demosthenes... Uh, I think the other one was Aristotle, I'm not sure, we'll say it was Aristotle. Demosthenes and Aristotle. On the first occasion when Demosthenes appeared on the stage, the people hissed him off it. His appearance was very weak and unimpressive. He had a painful stammer. He used to make all kinds of facial distortions. His voice was weak and harsh. And that, that was uh, enough against him, but he had another little habit. He used to hitch his shoulder every now and again. we go up, and of course, that's no aid to an orator. And when they hissed him off, as he went out of the auditorium, he said, they will hear me yet. When he went back home, he shaved off half his hair. Why did he do that? Well... When fellows have got half their hair shaved off, they are not too keen to go out into company. And he, he was going to devote himself to becoming a great orator. And so he cut off social contacts. He used to go down to the Aegean Sea and compete with the waves in order to give him strength in his voice. He used to speak with pebbles in his mouth so that he could overcome his stammer. He used to speak before a mirror so that he could correct his facial distortions. But how to get over this hitching of his shoulder, he couldn't think for a while. And then it dawned on him. And he suspended from the ceiling a sword with a very sharp point and with the sharp point resting on his shoulder. And it was surprising. Now, he had very little uh, desire to hitch his shoulder because if he did, the point would stick in. Well, what happened? He gave himself without any reservation to becoming an orator. The time came when Philip of Spain marched against Greece and the country was in danger. And they called on two of their orators to address the nation and to galvanize them into action. Aristotle spoke first, and he made a a great oration. When he'd finished, the people said, what wonderful oratory. 
And then it came Demosthenes' turn, and he made a great oration too. But when he had completed the oration, they didn't say what marvelous oratory. They said, come, let us fight Philip. You see, he said, they will hear me yet, and the nation heard him. They were galvanized into action, and they went out and defeated Philip. There was a man who gave himself without reservation to becoming a good orator. Will you give yourself without any reservation to be the best you can be for God in your studies, in your sport, in your service, no matter what it is, to be the best that I can be for truth and righteousness in the Lord of my life I come. Count Zinzendorf had one thing that was supreme in his life. Count Zinzendorf founded the Moravian Church, which in days when foreign missions were hardly known, one person in 92 in the Moravian community was a missionary. They instituted a chain of prayer that went on day and night, 24 hours a day, for 100 years. Now, it takes some tremendous motivation for a movement like that to be born. What was the motivation? Count Zinzendorf said, I have one passion. It is he, he alone. You see, the one thing that was supreme to him was the glory of Christ. I have one passion. It is he, he alone. It was the same passion that gripped David Brainerd when he said, I cared not where or how I lived. I cared not what hardships I endured, could I but win souls for Christ. You see, here were men who were gripped by something that was the most important thing in their lives. Paul was driven by a great ambition too, wasn't he? Before his conversion, he was tremendously ambitious. His ambition then was to exterminate the church and to efface the name of Christ. When he was converted, he was no less ambitious. I think probably he was more, but his ambition now was turned into productive channels. And our ambition, I believe, should be turned into productive channels. Something that will bring glory to God and blessing and building up to his church. Paul was always reaching out to far horizons. He was never content with the status quo. He was always saw something further. I must go to Rome. I must see, I must see Spain. The uppermost part of the earth as far as he was concerned. He was reaching out, reaching out. And I believe that in this day, when God has concentrated in our day all the great inventions of the world so that we can get out and preach the gospel everywhere, I believe that we should have a vision like Paul's that sees the far horizon. It's not over-occupied with with what's going on in the world of men, uh, but except in order that we might bring them to the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have a purpose like that in our lives, if we have an ambition, a dominating ambition, we can be absolutely certain that it will be challenged.
The devil won't worry you much if you're content to stay on the low levels. If you just want to be ordinary, mediocre, he'll let you get by. You won't have too great troubles. But it's when you strive to reach the higher levels, when you're seeking to capture more territory for God, then you can expect that he will attack you and that he will, uh, he will try to deflect you and to prevent you reaching your objective. There's another Greek story told of Atlanta and Hippomenes. Atlanta was a young woman who was the, the fastest woman in her world. She was a terrific runner, and she could beat all the young fellows uh, if they challenged her. One day, she threw out a challenge. She said, if any young man can beat me in a race, he can have my hand in marriage. But if he fails to beat me, he'll forfeit his life. Well, she must have been a very attractive girl because quite a lot of the young fellows took up the challenge. And one by one, they raced with her, were defeated and forfeited their life. But there was a young man named Hippomenes and uh, he determined that he was going to get her. And before the race... He concealed on his person, I don't know where he put them, but that's not the story. He concealed on his person three golden apples. And when they started, the race started, and Atlanta streaked ahead, and she was getting ahead of him, and he thought, now's my chance. He took one of those golden apples and rolled it in front of her. And when she saw the glittering thing, she couldn't help it. She stopped and picked it up, and he shot ahead. But she quickly overtook him, and... Then she was getting away again. He thought, now this is my chance, and he took the second one. Will she stop this time? But when she almost went on, but she couldn't resist it, and so she stooped down and picked the second one, and then he shot ahead. And then they were nearing the time, and uh, she was ahead of him again. He thought, this is my last chance, and he threw the golden apple and it rolled in front of her and she very nearly didn't stop but she couldn't resist and she stopped and picked it up he ran to the tape and they were married and lived happily ever afterwards <laughs> well that's the story but it's a story with a point if you are aiming as Paul was to win the prize as I'm straining forward I'm pressing on toward the prize you can be absolutely certain that the devil will do all he can to prevent you ever reaching the table. And, you know, very often it's a literal golden apple that the devil rolls in front of young people. It's not without significance that one verse in six in the Synoptic Gospels deals with money in one form or another. The Lord knew that money was one of the, the most determining things in human life, and so he constantly talked about it. And to all of us, more sooner or later, the lure of money and gold will be there, and we've got to make a decision about it. You know, gold is not currency in heaven. It's of so little value that all they use it for is road metal. That, that's what gold is for in heaven. And yet, how many men and how many women work for gold and at the end they've got a heap of road metal? 
nothing that will endure for eternity. Whereas if we spend our lives for Christ, to be the best that I can be in my, my studies as I prepare for life, to be the best that I can be in my service as I reach out, to be the best that I can be in my family life with wife and children, husband and children. Uh, when we do that, although the devil may test us and tempt us to turn aside, thank God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Lord has kept me in spite of many failures all these years. I trust that that will be an encouragement to you to believe that what he's done for me, he can do for you. Because I am as weak as anybody here. It's not my hold on him that has been important. It has been his hold on me. May I ask you as I close, will you spend time, you're having a break, Will you spend time deciding what is the one thing you do? What is the one thing into which you're going to channel the whole of your life so that it will integrate all parts of your life? One thing I do, Paul says, I strain forward, I press on to the prize. And he won the prize. You can win the prize too.